sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. Rise and shine, sports investors. It is another beautiful day in the neighborhood. Thursday, October 22nd. Let's cock-a-doodle-do it. This is the early line right here on Sports Grid, giving you the edge. I'm Dane Martinez, and we welcome back my main man, Kevin Walsh, burning the candles at both ends, trying to give you all the information you need to make it a profitable day, and we will try to put the fun and functional sports content at the same time. How you doing, Kev? What'd you do with your big day? You were missed here with the early line crew. What's going on, brother? Yeah, what's going on? I feel like I should have set it up to play like Eric Bischoff's uh, theme song right there, you know? Um, <laughs> but I- I'm excited to be back in the saddle. I popped in for a little bit. Joe PCP holding it down. Appreciate that. Yeah. And uh, look, we're we're ready to roll. I'll tell you, though, like, it made me realize. I'm like, man, I talk to Dane every day when some of this stuff goes down. I had to text you. I was like, Dane, what's that game, too? You know what I mean? I'm like, uh, uh, it was. I was a little off kilt. That's what I'm saying, right? That's what we do here on this show. We build a community and we thank everybody who watches us, everybody behind the scenes, the folks at LTN down there in Missouri making it happen. Hopefully you feel a part of the culture, everybody that's out there and watching. But let me tell you, Kev, when you asked me about game two and what I liked, I was wishy-washy on the side. The one thing I did say I liked was the over in this game. And I hope you better it because it hit if we look at what happened at game two of the world series yesterday the rays did come back they win this game six four and honestly kev for me this whole thing has been can the rays hit we know the dodgers can hit right but will the rays actually come through they're gonna need someone more than randy Arozarena if they are going to hang in this series and what do you know they started to get it brandon lau with two home runs joey wendell with three r RBIs, they get the job done. The bats starting to wake up. That's got to be a good sign for the Rays, right, Kev? Absolutely. I mean, we made the point when we were talking about the MVP market that the best hitter for the Rays during the course of the regular season right. was a 29 to 1 to win the World Series MVP. That, of course, being Brandon Lau. I mean, Dane, as we sit here through two games, only Mookie bats in front of them? I mean, realistically, or, or a tie? Between the two guys, am I off base there? Eh, maybe another Dodger, you know, the belly, the Seegers of the world. But I think you are absolutely right. Over time, though, we're also going to have to look and see if there's, you know, the pitchers will catch up when they have their second outing, right? You know what I mean? So right. that will become a threat as the series goes on. If there's any dominant bullpen arms, that mm-hmm. will, you know, kind of take shape as it goes along with multiple outings. But so far with the bats, I think right, Kevin. Castillo's hopes and dreams absolutely blew up almost immediately, only getting the one out as opposed to the full inning, uh, the 95-1 to shot. But, look, that's how it goes. Uh, I was unsurprised by this. The one one other thing that I was curious of, so, you know, and it was another conversation I was actually having with you um, off air about game one. And, I mean, you know the analysis. Those who are here uh, with us when we previewed the game on Tuesday know the breakdown. Um, I don't say to, like, gloat, but I got the game spot on. Kershaw pitched well. They got the glass now. They blew him out. 
Now, yep. I ultimately didn't bet it, so it threw me off a little bit because I was like, oh, you could have, you know, you had it right, whatever. But I expected the Rays to come back and win this baseball game. One thing I was interested in is how much did the conversation shift, a la the way the Lakers shifted the conversation with the Heat? Scrappy, this is a fight. Did people go, oh, the Dodgers are going to blow this team out? There goes our competitive World Series. I got to tell you something, Kev, and you know that going into this series, I picked Tampa, right? Um, mm-hmm. I was worried, Kev. I was worried. And that's why I framed it in this way. You know, I'm even, I'm listening to guys like Scotty Farrell on Coast to Coast, and he's making the point that like four dudes in this lineup are hitting below 200 in the playoffs, right? And so that was gonna have to happen. I, I needed to see whether it was Lau or someone like Margot or someone like Choi. I needed to see other bats, you know, kind of get in this. I needed to see the Rays score some runs. If this was another like 8 1 game, or something as we welcome in our radio audience from around the country thank you for waking up early with us especially out there on the west coast of mightier 1090 the very early line as you guys Hmm. wake up i was i was starting to hit panic kev my finger was over the panic button about to hit it because i was wondering like i said where were the uh, where were the bats gonna come from who was going to do it so i'm very excited that brandon lau who in the regular season was almost like an mvp candidate right and was slumping all playoffs he is the kind of name who can get back to his normal self that will be huge for the rays i was watching and waiting for it if it didn't come i was gonna come here and be like "Eh, i'm really concerned i'm really worried they saved me from the brink last night yeah again so and that's what i i thought was gonna happen because the dodgers won that game handedly right they were up 7-1, 7-1, 8-1, and then a couple of, you know, meaningless runs tacked on by the Rays. But it, it, it was always going to be a bit of an overreaction because it was one baseball game. They were coming in against Gonsolin, who's significantly more hittable. We can talk about the decisions that Roberts made out of the pen and what that means going forward. I do want to make mm-hmm. this point, though. I think the Rays sometimes maybe are not perceived to who they are. Oh, this great, true baseball's baseball team. You know who relies on the home run ball as much as anybody? The Rays. The Rays? It's how they generate almost all of their offense. And I'm okay with it because that's where we are in 2020. But I think that's something that people are going to have to get used to, especially if you're back in this team. It's home run ball or it's not a lot. Yeah, I mean, listen, isn't that the case for 2020, no matter who you are, right? It's almost saying like an NFL team is built differently and then watching them still score 40 points a game in this day and age in the NFL. We will talk more about what we've seen so far and what we expect in game three when we come back right here on the early line. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back right here to the early line on the grid. Dane Martinez and the candle burner, Kevin Walsh. we got to catch up. You know, we haven't talked for almost 36 <laughs> hours, which is absolutely ridiculous these days. So let's talk a little bit more about the World Series. And you mentioned the bullpen. And, Kev, I keep on thinking that is going to be a big deal, right? You know, the Rays start brought out some of their big boys, Castillo, Fairbanks. And they both get, you know, we're not – 
you know, Fairbanks gave up a run. Like you said, Castillo only faked, got one out and only needed to. But um, do you think now with the off day, because this is a big part of this series, Kev, the fact that there is no game today, right? We've talked about this in terms of managing the bullpen. I thought it was interesting also that the Dodgers decided to use game two as the Gonsolin and May sort of cobble it together, right? And they're going to have Bueller set up. They're going to have their guys going in the future. What do you think is the impact on this off day today? I'll try this one on you. The Dodgers lost this game because they're off today. Because there's no world where they Managing pulled Gonsolin the yep. way that they did if they were needing to pitch seven in a row the way we have the whole time. There's just no right. way they make that move. Did he give up a solo shot? Sure. Was there another runner that got on base? Fine. It was far from an ugly performance from Gonsolin, right? At least we didn't have enough time for it to be an ugly performance from Gonsolin. Right. And they went to their bullpen that we have no real reason to trust. We just don't. And Dustin May had a performance. I, I mean... Dane, it's very difficult. This is where baseball is so fascinating, man. But I don't know if he just didn't have his A-plus stuff. But right. on in-game live, I gave Mike Blewett a world of credit for it. Manny Margot hit two balls foul, and he went, oh, they're all over him. And Manny Margot was the first guy he saw. Not, the ball wasn't right. put in play. And he went, they're all over him. They're on, and then right. they completely blew up Dustin May. And it's the type of stuff, we're in a World Series, right? There's you, We can't mess around here. If that is, he had some bad stuff, okay, fine. But if that is something that is a part of the zillion-page binder that these bench coaches have, you can't throw him again. And if you can't throw Dustin May again, that really messes with what the Dodgers want to do. Right? Because now I need more innings out of Walker Bueller. Now I need Julio Urias, right, to I step think up Urias in a big then becomes way. the key. Right. right. Urias but like Dustin May, can he even start a baseball game? That was so I think the way they pulled Gonsolin was because we're not breaking down game threes for right. today. And I thought right. the May performance for me would be bone chilling if I were a Dodgers backer. Yeah, listen, uh, these things would compound on themselves if after, you know, if after using all of these arms, right, they still uh, have to go today and potentially use them again if, say, Bueller didn't have it or if the game went long. So absolutely, they are lucky to have the off day and maybe they manage specifically for that. I don't know, though, Kev. I think they have to go back to Dustin May at some point, right? Like in game mm -hmm. five or something, when this comes around, they're going to have to trust the formula. You know, you go, you dance with the girl you brought, right, on some level. And I don't think yeah. they can change their approach, you know, in the middle of the world series but you do make a great point i look at the other side and i think they're gonna need charlie morton to do charlie morton kinds of things right like he's been a revelation and now at least they're lined up that they have i believe the pitcher that they trust the most in a big game spot going in the pivotal game three morton's awesome morton won me some money in game seven when they beat right. the astros 
I, I really, really, I like Morton. Walker Bueller just threw his best game uh, of the postseason, his last game out, yeah. first time. Uh, I think it was, I think it was six scoreless. Uh, he went really, really good stuff from Walker Bueller. I'm excited about the game. I wanted to ask you though because I don't want to miss out on it. What did you think of the Blake Snell performance? Because it went from all-time great World Series performance to <laughs> good thing he had run support. Yeah, I mean. I thought he was all right. You know, I thought he was all right. Um, I thought that, again, in the same way you're talking about, in the same way you're talking about Gonsolin, I am intrigued by how long they're letting these guys go, right? Um, and there you go. You nod, right? I am intrigued by that piece. The management of rotations in this context is huge to me because also, Kev, I got to tell you, I played ball myself, right? I'm not some major leaguer, but I played into the college level and stuff. And the idea of letting pitchers work out of a jam, right, mm. is something that I I think is necessary. You know, Be, are they always going to work out? And sometimes will they get blown up? Yes. And honestly, obviously, if you're in game two of the World Series, do you need to have that shorter hook? I understand. But that's the part that's hard for me. So when you talk to me about his performance, right, it's hard for me to it's hard for me to nail down because I, I, I don't know if these guys get their best opportunity to show that it's not bad. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? It 100% makes sense. Here's the thing with Snell. They show the graphic, and sometimes you get you see, you see a graphic on, on the broadcast, and you're like, oh, get out of here. Other times you see it, and you're like, oh, thank you for this bit of yeah. research I might have missed out on. Through innings one through three, Snell's basically unhittable. We get into the fourth and later, his ERA balloons to almost a seven. That is yeah. simple baseball math these days. I see you enough times, I'm going to hit you. And it, honestly, I was on the uh, – we're doing in-game life, and I'm like, yeah. all we need – is for him to get out of this inning, and the next inning starts with Mookie Betts. He'll have a no-hitter. They have to put him out there, and they shouldn't put him out there. I don't think the plan is to put him out there, but they have no choice. And ultimately, it did come to fruition. Now, Taylor takes him deep, Mookie gets on, Corey gets on, and then they have to pull him for Justin Turner. So that is, to me, I thought it stood out. When we come back around, we'll see Snell again, right? Mm -hmm. And I'll be interested to hear the perception. Because I think a lot of people are going to be like, yo, I'm back in Blake Snell. He was sick in that game. They got to him late, no problem. I'm fading Blake Snell after that performance. The more these guys see him, the more comfortable they are. And I really do believe that... As much as he was putting on, literally, an all-time great performance. First pitcher since Sandy Koufax, I think it was. Only the second pitcher ever to have a no-hitter through four with eight Ks. He was dominant. Yeah. Not taking that away from him. But clearly, the more you see Snell, the more comfortable you get. This Dodgers team will clearly not the exception to the rule. We come back around to Snell. I'm on the Dodgers. All right, that's interesting. And listen, we see this not as dramatically, but all the time, right? When they put up the stats of, like, first time through the order, second yeah. time through the order, we see this all the time. I got to tell you, when we have more time, I'm going to tell you a little bit more about my platform if I was a Major League Baseball commissioner or manager. I would organize pitching staffs a little bit differently, um, and it would be closer to that. I wouldn't have an opener, and I wouldn't have guys going complete games. I'd be on some modular, like, every one of my staff would go three innings. 
like a time through the order. And I would have it almost be like days would be sets of three guys. Um, literally mm. that match up interestingly, like a lefty or righty, a power baller and a junk baller. I'd have little modules that would all go three innings at a time. That's the way I would organize it. And I think data will get to that point eventually. Kev, I do want to ask you real quick. I know we got the break, but you also mm. always love to look at the movement in the series price after the game. Yeah. And after one, one, we're similar to where we were. You know, mm-hmm. going into this, Dodgers minus 200, the Rays at plus 168. Has anything in this two games dramatically said, like, uh-oh, one of them are going to run away from it? Or do you now think it's a, going to be a long series? Like we were saying, we were looking at six yeah. games and seven games previously, right? Yeah, I, I always thought it was going to be a long series. What stood out to me, the series spread market, right? You got even one juice both games. sides, minus again, right? After game one, it went to yeah. plus 150-ish on the Rays, plus a game and a half. Now they take a game, swing it all the way other round, minus yep. 144, plus one and a half games. I would have loved a plus two and a half after that game. Unfortunately, it didn't pop up. Uh, I do still believe we are in for a long series here. Absolutely. And anybody who was afraid of that, consider myself among them, got, like we said, saved from the brink by the offensive performance of the Tampa Bay Rays last night. When we come back, Kev, we're going to shift our attention to college football. You weren't here, but we heard from Joe Lisi. I got to catch you up on that. But for now, let's get caught up on everything with the Sports Grid News Update. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back in, everybody, right here to the early line, including our radio affiliates from around the country. Big shout out, Dane Martinez and Kevin Walsh, putting the fun and functional sports content, giving you the edge on the grid here on the early line, 7 to 9 a.m. every weekday morning. It don't matter. We give you what you need. And Kev, you know, over the last, I don't know, week or so, last couple of weeks, we started to talk more and more about college football, right? And yesterday, Kev, when you weren't here, we had our guy, Joe Lisi from college football today here on this network giving us some insights and it was interesting kev it really was i gotta tell you something he sees the potential for chaos theory just like i do okay i was asking him and i was trying to be like almost like a leading question right i was almost asking him like listen he was talking about georgia and how they are still viable we were then talking about the big 10 and you know it's interesting i don't want to ask you um, he said it's fair for even like a team like Penn State to be in the top 10. I'll give you Ohio State, right? We all think that they're going to be there, right? And then and we also have Wisconsin. We also have Michigan and Minnesota, who, by the way, Joe thinks Michigan will be able to go into Minnesota and cover that number. That is a big game. That's the primetime game, I believe, on ABC this Saturday, okay? Michigan as road favorites going in in a battle of top 25 teams in the first Big Ten kind of big game. Uh, he does think Michigan has the horses, even though they are depleted, to go into Minnesota and win. So I found that interesting, right? Um, he mm-hmm. thought that Penn State was good, but brought up, you know, from everything from Florida losing to LSU looking a lot worse than we thought, to obviously Oklahoma fading away. He also mm-hmm. acknowledged and held out the opportunity that 
at least one of these Big Ten schools that are in the top 25 with records of O and O are going to underperform and, as we talk about, fall by the wayside. He thought that that was very possible and that we were on to something, you know, the idea of actually ranking teams that are O and O. Right, Kev? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's a, it's a tough thing to do. But they've ranked these teams right before we ever play a game, and people yeah. always complain. There's a reason why the AP rank is what it is, and the college football playoff committee doesn't come out with anything until you know late past the midway point of the season. So I understand that. I think the Big Ten being back is very exciting. I think the fact that Ohio State and Penn State are going to be playing each other next weekend is very valuable information because mm-hmm. although this is their too. first game of the year, it's a look-ahead spot because the game of the year for both of those teams, to a degree, will be happening the following week, right? So mm-hmm. a pseudo-eliminator, not 100% going to crush you, but a pseudo-eliminator and you kind of go out, you got to go out there and you got to handle your business for the season debut. So that'll be on the mind. And I'll say t- I'll say this on Michigan. Okay. 18. That's about as low as I can remember them starting in a preseason poll since maybe year 1 of Harbaugh in Michigan. Right. And it I'm wondering is that a product of the recruiting class/talent that is around are people Tired of buying Harbaugh in Michigan every mm-hmm. year. And how, and this is where it's really valuable. So, Dane, let's say they do what Joe says. They win, they cover. Three point spread as a road favorite. They win the game by 10. Right. They're going to beat the 21st team in the country who will go to 0 and 1 and probably fall out of the top 25. Right. Like, maybe they were never. What does that win right. actually do for Michigan? Yeah, I mean, Let's put it, it does something, right? Because when you're on the road against the top 25 team, you could also fall to 0-1 and fall by the wayside, right? So I do think that is important. And to your question, and this is where I framed it for Lisi also, Michigan had a lot of players uh, when the Big Ten originally decided to not play. Michigan had a lot of players saying, peace, I'm out. I'm going to other schools so that Mm -hmm. I could play. They were compromised, including Kev, their quarterback, who I don't know if you know, is a guy named Dylan McCaffrey. If you know the last Mm. name, yes, Kev, it is Christian McCaffrey's little brother who was the and he decided to opt out like in September. Okay, so that, along with a lot of other reasons or why I thought Michigan was compromised, Joe Lisi thought they still had the horses. If we put the top 25 up, though, again, right, I was asking Lisi about our conversation, like, could this be the year, right? And I think, you know, Kev, there's three pressure points that I am rooting for, right? Um, The first is the number six team in the country, the Oklahoma State Cowboys, right? And I was like, listen, Joe, you know, the Big 12, this is a legit Power 5 conference, you know, and I I couched it with this, right? If we accept Clemson, Alabama, and Ohio State, right, to run the table, to be the three, you know, and then I told him, if Clemson runs the table, that means Notre Dame has lost. That means Georgia has lost again, right? So they, quote unquote, fall by the wayside. And then I asked him, how good is Oklahoma State? Like, can they get it done? And he said, 
that this Oklahoma State uh, Iowa State game this Saturday is a huge proof point because of the fact that Oklahoma is down in that conference that this may be their best resume building kind of win that they get an opportunity to have and Joe uh, excuse me and Kev Joe thinks it can happen Joe Mm -hmm. loves these Oklahoma State Cowboys Chubba Hubbard remember we talked about him when he was going uh, talking about Mike Gundy and what the shirt he was wearing a few months ago if you remember that he loves Chubba Hubbard and here's the other thing and this is what is important for me He says that the Oklahoma State Cowboys have by far the best defense in that conference, that they are the most physical in that conference. Now, I know saying defense and physical in the Big 12 is something of an oxymoron, but the fact that they may be able to do that and slow some of these other teams, I thought was interesting. He buys into the Cowboys against Iowa State this Saturday. Uh, It is. It's a big game. And I'll say, I'm almost surprised by the number. It's three and a half for Oklahoma State on the road. I, and not from uh, power ratings of these two teams, from uh, the way college football usually works, I would usually expect Iowa State to be favored in the game, right? Or at least not three and a hook, right? Still key numbers, like college football is still football. Those are, that's still a key number, of course, of three and a half. That gives me confidence, in the Cowboys, that the number is three and a half. I, I think right. that goes to show they maybe are a cut above the rest of the Big 12. Yeah. And, you know, Dane, the, the reason why when you and I were kind of talking to, you know, about our deep shots, right, and that, you know, you and I both now have come together for Oklahoma State and Cincinnati, and, uh, you know, they make yeah. up the conglomerate for this show. They're the 150 to one, right? They're 150 to one. Not only is Kansas State in front of them, which blows my mind, Ridiculous. who like lost a game and is twentieth in the country. Oklahoma is in front of Oklahoma State at a hundred. Not moving these lines, yeah. Like they're not coming back. They're not. Like I understand the argument is, yeah, but if they came back, they'd have a better chance to win the games than Oklahoma State. You don't get a refund if your team misses the top four. Like, Kevin, there's only like four or five games left in the conference. Yeah, I'm saying. You know what I mean? Like, there's not that many landmines left. And that's part of what people need to realize in this 2020 season, right? You know what I mean? Like, the opportunities for teams to fall by the wayside are fewer. So, we like Oklahoma State. So does our guy, uh, Joe Lisi. Kev, it gets better. You know when I was talking about the physical, defensive-minded team? You know who he really loves as a physical, defensive-minded team, Kev? The Cincinnati Bearcats. He's all over them. He thinks that this, similarly, they have the ability to punch you in the mouth and said that this game against SMU, which, by the way, is on the road for the Bearcats, is mm-hmm. just as good of a resume-building win, right, than, like, Oklahoma State might get, than a lot of Big Ten games are. He believes that this American Athletic Conference game will allow Cincinnati to have a resume and hang around and still be alive. What do you think about this one? I know we might not handicap it per se, but the big picture question, especially buoyed by the love of Joe Lisi in the same way, a physical defensive team that can travel, let's put it that way, right? Like their game will travel in this conference, Kev. I just, I don't really understand how they're 200 to one. 
like yeah. to Kansas State's a hundred to one. I I don't. Right. It doesn't land for me. Right. That that is why these two teams stand out the way they do. Right. Basically, <laughs> I have a feeling that when you and I get into middle of November, we're going to be real pests for people about college football because I am relentlessly rational about what these rankings should be. You are very similar. So when there are hypocritical points being offered, they will be picked apart by... They will be picked apart by this show. So... If you said to me, well, Kansas State's 101 because they're in the Big 12, okay, then explain Oklahoma State being 150. So there's gaps in the market logically. So Cincinnati's 200 to 1 is a great play. I will say the money line is short enough on SMU. If you are going to invest in that number substantially, you should take a bit off of that number. You can honestly take the whole thing back, really, on SMU this week in a big game. So over the break, we're going to pass the collection pot around. We're going to see if our guys behind the scenes, if we could get the syndicate going, lay a little bit on Cincy and Oklahoma State. But before we do, Kev, you got to hear the other team that he thinks is imminently live because we may have to split this unit three ways. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. All right, welcome back here, everybody. Right back to the early line. Dane and Kevin putting the fun in functional sports content. So, Kev, we're passing around the plate. We're going to build our early line syndicate, and we're going to lay 200 to 1 Cincinnati, 150 to 1 Oklahoma State. And and let me put this disclaimer out. I'm not betting them because I think they're going to win the national championship. I'm betting them because I think I'm going to hedge or cash out if they get to number four, right? That's what we're looking for. But, Kev, Joe Lisi also thought about another option that we touched on. It's 100 to 1, and it's the Oregon Ducks. Kev? Yeah. Kev? (sighs) He sold you? Who are there. He he basically said that they're – they're a really good team, and they're the class of the Pac-12. And he also said on, USC is not on their schedule, right? And here's the other part. Here's yeah. the other part. He says USC is not on the schedule. He thinks they're the class of the conference. And to your point previously about the name brand of, like, how is Oklahoma ahead of Oklahoma State? How, you know, oh, ha, 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 Cincinnati, right? He, he also thinks that that name brand, that, like, when o- Oregon – is like 2-0, and oh, right, and is winning by 30 points. It's a lot different than BYU 2-0 and oh, winning by 30 points, that all of a sudden Oregon will snap right back into good graces of, like, the public and the voters, and that a 6-0, and oh, and I can't believe, right, a 6-0 and oh, Oregon would be a team that can hop some of these teams we're cheering for. He thinks Oregon can get through their – you know, small Pac-12 slate that does not have USC on it and can make moves here. So Oregon runs the table, right? Obviously, that's their own. They're 100 to 1, Kev. But I think that's telling. 
I think that's super telling. Them jumping the Cincinnati's and the Oklahoma State's, no problem. Can they really jump Georgia? I don't know. I don't know if they jump Notre Dame if Notre Dame covers the number against Clemson, right? Mm-hmm. Notre Dame is still going to have s- some bigger games there. And then contending against even a, a, a one-loss Big Ten team. Right. That's the problem for Oregon. Yes, they're in the Pac-12. But you mentioned USC's not on the schedule. I don't know if that's a good thing. I don't know if it is. Like, the yeah. whole conference is down. Well, USC may make them not undefeated, but Joe believes that the prestige or the resume of an undefeated Pac-12 team, right, even like Oregon up against the, the branding of Oklahoma okay. State, even, that that branding yes. gets them there if they just have the bagel on that side of the record. So this is where I talk about being relentlessly rational in college football and where it gets tricky. But I won't stand for, oh, they're an unbeaten Pac-12 team. I don't care. Some of those other teams better find their way in the top 25. Otherwise, it means nothing to me. Right? right? Again, we've seen. And maybe that might happen, teams. right? We haven't exactly. seen them on the field exactly. yet. Maybe Very Utah plausible. or Washington is impressive. Right. It, look, it's very plausible that, you know, they've, they have, you know, UCLA, Cal, Washington, those are the teams. You know, Stanford, I don't think that's their first game is going to be able to get there. Washington State, right, right. probably difficult as well. But could a UCLA, a Cal, or a UW find their way into the top 25 by the, way, by the time they play them? Possibly. Maybe they play USC in the Pac-12 title game. USC right. does their part runs the table as well like at that point like eight verse 14 in the country right maybe even higher that that's the avenue but then at that point what's my usc number you know what i'm saying to where if my well then the winner of the pac-12 if we've got an undefeated oregon versus an undefeated usc Right? In a Pac-12 mm-hmm. tournament, uh, championship game. And unfortunately, yeah. Oklahoma State, right, like in the, you know, in the in Bedlam, which is the last game of the season, right, when they play Oklahoma, let's say, that doesn't look as impressive. It just won't, you know, and yeah. the idea of the prestige of these teams. Lisi, I know you're rational, right? And I agree with you. I think we have to, in a rational way, whether you like it or not, Kev, accept the idea of the prestige these teams are coming in with, whether we like it the or not. The Pac-12 doesn't have a lot of prestige. They're routinely Oregon left out of the college football most playoff. Oregon may be the sure. only team that the public is like, oh, yeah, they're good. For sure. But they still don't have the prestige of some of these Big Ten teams, a Notre, a Notre Dame, a Georgia. That's kind of what I'm saying. And yeah. I will say this as well, right? One of the nice things about the late start for the Pac-12, you can get involved in the conference winner at plus money before this all starts to unravel. Because USC is the same 100 to 1 that Oregon is. You look there. Oregon's plus 170 to win the Pac-12. USC is plus 220. Utah and UW are both 7 to 1. Arizona State's 9 to 1. Every other team below that is in the 20s or higher. So basically they're telling you only five reasonable options, massive gap between Oregon and USC. If so this is kind of what I said about, you know, you might want to take a money line, this that, right? Mm-hmm. If you're going to throw the Oregon number down, 
you probably should be taking them to win the Pac-12 as well. It's the only way you even have any kind of life in this market. All right, fair enough. Well, at this point, the early line syndicate, I believe, and tell me if you're with me, guys, we are on Oklahoma State. Cincinnati and quack quack for the Ducks or at least that the Pac-12 champion is undefeated and then we are going to see we're going to learn we're going to learn if there's a bagel for Oklahoma State or USC or Oregon and Cincinnati and somehow a one loss Penn State or a Mm. one loss Notre Dame uh, Georgia may be different because the SEC is such king. I get you, right? But I think Georgia's going to yeah. get a second loss, okay? I think Georgia's going to get a second loss in the yeah. SEC championship game, making it irrelevant. I think we have the opportunity for, in essence, coming out of this season, I believe we're going to have an argument to extend to eight because we're going to have a legitimate undefeated team, whether it's Oklahoma State, whether it's Oregon, USC, Cincy, SMU, BYU, and they're going to be measured up against a one-loss Big Ten, ACC, or SEC school. And if they lose that voting, then I think we're going to start to hear about that expansion. It's going to be very, very interesting. You got anything else on this, Kev? I just want to say, I've seen this movie before. Our hearts might get ripped out as soon as this weekend. They're both playing against ranked teams on the road. Yeah, But... The early line conglomerate money line parlay is plus 243 for both Cincinnati okay. and Oklahoma State to get through? this week. It's not bad. Survive in advance for it's the not syndicate bad. teams. You know? It's not bad, but forget that. Let's just throw a bunch of shekels on 200 to 1 right now and then cash <laughs> out by Thanksgiving and we'll be good to go. But in any event, Kev, uh, as we keep it moving. Actually, Kev, there is one uh, college football game today. Right? Yes. That maybe we should talk about as it gets going. Listen, this football every day of the week, it feels like these days. Arkansas State, it's a lower level game, goes to Appalachian State, where Appalachian State is minus 13 and a half, just shy of that key number, although there is juice. So maybe you want to mm. get it now because it might go to 14. Kept the total in this one is 68 and a half, which yeah. I think is crazy. But you said they zoomed over it last week. Oh, yeah. I mean, we last week we saw Arkansas State play in kind of this primetime spot. The game was 59-52. to 52. It was outrageous. It was a blast. I was all about it. App State scores at will. They're coming off a game where they have put up 52 points themselves. 68, you probably got to play the game over the number. The 13.5 is a lot, though. So App State's lone loss on the year to Marshall actually ranked. You go through the Marshall schedule, by the way. Not many losses on there, but I don't think Marshall are they can undefeated go undefeated too. Yes, they are, but oh, I don't. Okay, I think Marshall, Marshall can go. To the syndicate. I was gonna say Marshall could go unbeaten <laughs> twice, and they're not gonna get into the top four. But here's the thing with Arkansas State: their loss is also to a top twenty-five team in Coastal Carolina, who we saw the uh, other day beat up uh, on Louisiana. Lafayette. So these are as much as this might look like a dirty Thursday night college football game. These are actually two teams that are pretty solid with decent enough resumes coming into the year. And I think you might want to lean with the points. It might be too many points, especially if we can get up to 14. And I'd lean to the over. And listen, college football teasers, my goodness, you want to talk about getting ready for your heart to be ripped out. You play a college football teaser. But, but... A seven-point teaser of getting Arkansas State at 20 and a hook and, and bringing and the number down to 61. Oh, going up. Like, 
Yeah, I think, by the way, I'd rather bring the total down because the thing with college football is we can get to 100 and I can't sit here and be like, ah, oh, it's such a bad beat. Whereas, you know, we'll have a good chance to get to 61. So um, I think this is honestly like a, it's a legit good game. This isn't a college football game with two like complete scrub teams. You're like, oh, I can't believe I threw money on. These are these are two solid teams here tonight. I think it's a fun game. All right, fair, fair enough. All we need to do, it's almost like the NCAA tournament. you got to survive and advance. That's what our syndicate teams are going to have to do, survive yeah. and advance. But remember, all 2020, Kev, we've talked about variance. All 2020, we've talked about this unknown coming in. And in the college football season, when these teams have fewer games and fewer landmines, it's going to be very, very interesting, especially because the Big Ten and the Pac-12 are getting to these staggered starts. So we know a little bit about some teams. And now these other teams are coming online that we just don't know about yet. Someone is going to underperform in the Big 12. I can't wait to see who. But as we turn our attention, Kev, to the NFL, one of the things, this is an interesting story. I want to go through some of the injuries, some of the news and notes that we saw. And then an hour or two, we're definitely going to look into Thursday Night Football, which features your Philadelphia Eagles, or at least the ones that are still healthy, by goodness sakes. But one thing that I saw that was interesting in the NFL yesterday, did you see this, Kev? The Las Vegas Raiders had Trent Brown, one of their offensive linemen, that's positive for COVID-19. And this is something I remember mentioning to you before the season started. Like, what happens if a quarterback get it to the rest of the quarterback room? What happens if an O-lineman gets it to the rest of the O-line room? And the Raiders decided to send home all five starting offensive linemen because they had been in contact with Trent Brown practicing in the, earlier in the week, even though they're coming off of their bye. You know, they're trying to preserve the rest of their O-line. I find this fascinating because there has been, as of yet, no talk of the Raiders game not happening this week, yet we could have our first situation of a of a position group being entirely compromised. What do you think about this story? They've sent the Raiders home. I think their young safety, Jonathan Abram, also got sent home because they thought he had contact with Trent Brown. Yeah, I think the idea that a team would have to send out a full slate of a backup offensive line is unimaginable, really, right? I, I mean, you talk about things that move a number, I don't know what a sports book can do to represent. Like this is more than Cam Newton not playing for the Patriots. Correct, correct. The number right now sits at the Bucks lane four. I believe before any of this news, it was the Bucks lane three. I mean, (laughs) the Raiders are playing the Bucks. Like this is maybe the best defense in football. Like you want to talk about a team where I'd like to have, I'd like to have my full complement of offensive linemen against. It sure would be the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So can I bet a Josh Jacobs under prop bet? I mean, you, yeah, you can do you can do all of the things. I would, I, I don't know how they navigate that because here's really the big thing I would say, Dane. Let's yeah. just say it did knock out the whole offensive line. That might kind of classify as a bit of an outbreak, and that really might have to cancel the game. And this is the Vegas Raiders who are coming off of their bye week. Right. They don't have the wiggle room. Absolutely right. And you talk about they play the Tampa Bay Bucks, um, you know, and then it's that's a cross conference game messing up the bot. You know, it's it, I've been saying it for a while. The wiggle room is gone. This is something we have to monitor. We'll talk about it more on the other side of the break here on the early line. 
SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back in, everybody. Right here to the early line. Kevin Walsh and Dane Martinez. And, Kev, we were talking about this Las Vegas Raiders issue that I – for me, what's weird also is that, like, this is not news. This was sort of kind of, like, quiet yesterday mm-hmm. a little bit, right? Like, ah, hey, they sent this guy home. They're going to send the entire offensive line home. I think we're going to learn a lot more about this today. You know, they were talking about it as an abundance of caution for everyone not Trent Brown. But as you know, we get our testing day by day in the morning. And so that story will certainly move. You talk about an abundance of caution. Kev, I think there's going to be a team that needs an abundance of caution Sometime soon, because after next week, the suspension for Antonio Brown is over. And we started to hear yesterday that there will be a market for Antonio Brown. One of the leaders in the clubhouse seemed to be the Seattle Seahawks, which I find interesting after the emergence of DK Metcalf. They already have Tyler Lockett. Josh Gordon has even flirted with them back and forth. But it seems like there may be some other teams in the mix. As Adam Schefter said yesterday, the Seahawks are not alone. Let me ask it to you this way, Kev. What? Type of team, contender, locker room, what have you, scheme of offense, whatever it is. What kind Mm. of team do you think ultimately in 2020 needs or leverages the services of AB? So I think there's a couple of teams that are pretty obvious fits when you want to talk about managing AB. The Seahawks, Mm. because you trust Russ. The Ravens, because I trust Lamar and his cousin, and Hollywood to be able to handle it, yeah. right? Brady and Tampa Bay, those two apparently fell in love with one another in literally a week out there in New England, right? right? So that's a spot. Those are three pretty like uh, obvious spots that would jump out. Maybe the Saints might fit that description as well. Right. I'd be interested, though, in a team like the Packers, who desperately sure. could use that kind of a player. Sure. I think the Eagles fit that description. I don't know. Or Travis Fulham's fine. Maybe not. I am curious <laughs> to see, does this become like a short, short list? Or does mm. he go for opportunity slash money? Because like, if it's all systems go on AB, then there should be significant dollar amounts thrown at this guy. Yeah, I mean, the talent is obvious. So are the issues, right? What I'll say from the fantasy side, if you think you're a playoff team, go ahead. But in the short term, I ain't putting them on my roster. Hour number two of the early line is up next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.